you know, I had a long conversation with them and they were, you know, a nice conversation and they seemed very enthusiastic about being a part of the podcast. And then every couple of days or whatever, it was like, well, talk to our PR people, talk to the PR people. Well, we're not going to do it. And then, well, we'll do it, but we're, you know, yeah, the PR team said that they wanted to say the answers anonymously, um, which I think they may have done for another podcast. I'm not sure. <laughs> and, and we said, you know, absolutely not. We don't want to use, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. Uh, and we thought that Jerry Jr. was against anonymous sources. Um, <laughs> How dare you hold his own words against him? <laughs> <laughs> right. everybody welcome to another episode of growing up christian i'm sam and i'm casey and i'm going to start us off with a uh little story about my week i um i actually already posted on the instagram if anyone saw that i got a puppy and it's very exciting for me and adorable yeah super cute cutest puppy in the world now it was i don't remember how many weeks ago it was but we um we changed the tone of the podcast for a quick minute and talked about all of our dead dogs. So, Oh yeah, that was a little while ago. <laughs> I feel like we got a complaint or two out of that one. Like, geez, it's kind of a yeah, downer, there was, guys. Yeah. There was a couple that were like, wow, I didn't expect to be sad after listening. To but um, yeah, so obviously back in October, um, we lost our Westie and um, ahead of her time due to cancer. She was uh, almost 10. Uh, and she really should have been like six. I don't know. Their life ex- expectancy is like 16 years old. So that obviously like we ended up getting, I think I've, I've probably mentioned it before. We ended up getting another puppy, but that was like right after she died. And we were supposed to get that. The, the intent was to have like bring a puppy into a house with, with our dog rogue and have rogue show this puppy, the robes. Well, rogue didn't last that long. And our, our puppy is uh, kind of dumb. He sucks. He's like not a great dog. I don't care that much about it. Uh, <laughs> it's just so frustrating. This is like the, a, another puppy? No, so this is like, now? yeah, yeah. This is, so I, this is the one we brought in after, like we got after, it's like a boxer lab mix. We got Albus after, right after Rogue died. You know about You must Albus. not like him because I feel like you've never mentioned his Oh my God, shut the fuck up. I've definitely mentioned Alvis before. Don't make me feel that bad about it. Like, I don't hate this dog, but he's aggravating, like really aggravating. We've done countless hours of training. We brought him to a trainer. Like this dog just can't chill out. He's on anti-anxiety meds. Like this, he's just constantly just freaking out all the time. It's really tough. Um, But he's sweet. I mean, he is sweet when he calms down at night, when he's just hanging out at the house. When he's not like at a level 10 crazy, he just, he'll just lay down. He's a big time cuddler. He's like just a doofus. So I don't really hate him, but it's easy to talk about how much I yell at him a lot. And anyway, after it's like, since, since rogue died, we were like, it was only a month or two later. We were like, we need to get, we need to find another Westie. Like we loved that dog. Like 
Jill and I used to kind of make fun of like, not make fun of, but not get why people would like get a breed of dog and then only get that dog forever, you know? And it clicked for us then. Cause it was like, Oh, obviously there's a lot of personality traits within dogs that are genetic. So you stick with a breed and you're going to get a lot of similarities between them. Um, so we ended up like putting ourselves on like five waiting lists with breeders, but you know, the fucking pandemic and shit made everyone in the entire country want to get a dog. So the waiting lists were gigantic and we weren't really looking at getting another one for at least like, and we're in North Carolina. Uh, and it was on Thursday, um, that my wife got a call, not a call, an email from a breeder who was like, Hey, uh, you know, we actually just had somebody, uh, I mean, the sad thing is the the person who was supposed to get this dog had a really bad medical diagnosis and he just couldn't take the dog. He's, you know, doesn't look great. And I don't know. So that's like super sad, but he was really upset about it. And he was like, I really just want the dog to go to like a good family. And a couple dogs from that same litter were being transported to Massachusetts. And so she was kind of, the breeder was just thinking about other people who could, take. she didn't just go immediately to the next person in line. She remembered, uh, she remembered Jill reaching out and saying like, you know, we really want a Westie. Like we lost ours. She's a wonderful family dog. It just means like where we really can't wait to have another one. So she remembered that and she emailed us and then we were like, she was like, you know, we're going to be in Pennsylvania on Saturday, like, you know, or we could, you can pay a transportation charge and we'll bring it up to Mass, like Massachusetts, but it'd be a couple hours. Oh, funny. We're leaving North Carolina. So we'll just pick it up in Pennsylvania on our way home. And that all happened over like a day and a half. And we ended up coming back home from vacation with a new puppy. <laughs> Man. Yeah. That's a lot of change at once. Yeah. And then to add to that change, um, one of the, like, I don't know. We just keep putting new things in our houses, so it's going to get magically bigger. But my wife, one of her students that she's had for a number of years, she just turned 18. She's been in like the foster care system in a group home. Bad situation for her. And we've actually tried to get her here a couple of times. And for some reason, DCF, because, uh, you know, they don't act. DCF sucks. I mean, it's a total nightmare. They don't always make the best decisions for kids. And they just. We're like, ah, we think a group home is best. Group homes are never best. I can't think of a situation in which the best thing for a child is to deny a loving family and put them in a group home. But I don't know. I'm sure they're the experts and the professionals. So we'll leave that alone. But now that she's 18, she can make her own choices. And um, she's probably moving in with us next week. So <laughs> we're going to add another teenager uh, senior to our home senior in high school. Yeah, so that'll be an interesting change as well. Um, we're getting tight on space very quickly. So is this like some plot to like offload all of your new puppy responsibilities to a poor unsuspecting kid? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely going to have to dump some responsibilities onto, onto some teenagers. Dude, you like Matilda's parents. Yeah. <laughs> Except for I don't grab kids <laughs> by the hair and swing around. No, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a trench bowl. That was, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matilda, dude, that was a childhood staple for uh, watching VHS on repeat for sure. Oh yeah, what was there was one where uh, I feel like it was a Mary Kate and Ashley movie where one of them had to go. It takes live two with the family. Was it? It takes two. But they went and lived with the family in uh, the junkyard, and they were like 
putting them to work. I think so. I think I don't remember. There's I okay. I watched a lot of Mary Kate and Ashley movies. I feel like uh, Mary Kate and yeah, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. Because uh, I definitely was like, definitely had a crush on them, you know. And I remember thinking like, yeah, why not watch their movies? And it, it's funny because at that age, you're not like you're not old enough to have any like I don't know. You're not you don't even have any sexual thoughts at that point. But you're just like I just want to watch these kids on screen for some reason. You're into it. It's weird. Childhood crushes uh, are weird. I want to be their like friend. Eight. Yeah, that's really, that's <laughs> like that. I'd be like, it'd be so cool if, to meet them and it wouldn't. You'd be like, hi. And then you just awkwardly stare at them like total creep. I'm yeah, sure they like were I've never like, had an experience where like I really wanted to meet someone that I acted in any way that wasn't like super embarrassing after the fact. Like I just clam no. up. No, no, there isn't like uh, you ever like been to a show and you're like, oh, those are the people. Those that's the guys in the band. Maybe I'll say hi. And then you do. You're like, God damn it. That was awful. They're going to remember that as one of the worst experiences they had. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel like I avoid meeting dudes in bands now because it's not even like uh, it's not even like a fanboy thing or anything like that. It's just like there's too much pressure on the conversation. Yeah, and then I, I just do? don't know Blow what to say. <laughs> right? Like, what are you? What are you really going to come out swinging with that they're going to be like? Oh my god, I have not had this conversation with a total stranger, and this is going to be great. Hey, uh, I, I like it when you uh, sing most songs. Not that one, but these ones. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know all the lyrics. I, you know, I and we cover that in my in my band. We cover that song. I do the screaming on it and. People have told me it's really good. Uh, if you ever want, I mean, I could show you. Do you want me? I can show you right now if you want. Like, <laughs> those ones are rough. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What was the rest for of the you, vacation? Though. Okay. Okay. Oh, I think we got a, maybe a slight delay here. Uh, rest of the vacation. Uh, I mean, we were hanging out with family, dude. So it was like pretty just chill. Like, uh, my wife's family lives down there and. We hadn't seen them in a while. We we had like originally a bigger vacation planned um, or we thought about planning one. Basically, like last summer, we were going to do a big vacation. But then, uh, you know, we're to the Outer Banks and COVID fucked that up. And then by the time things were reopening, we thought about planning that again. Um, but things just seemed too up in the air to like put all that money on the line for a vacation and then not really and then have to like try to get a refund if it didn't work out and maybe have some people go and some people not. It was just, so we just canceled all vacation plans for this year too. Uh, but we wanted to do something and go somewhere for a week. So, uh, we just were like, we'll just go visit my wife's family in North Carolina. Uh, I mean, there's her cousins that she grew up with. Um, I've known them since we started dating They're They were friends of mine while we were dating. Like I've, they're just kind of like our age and, similar interests, stuff like that. So it was just a lot of fun hanging out with them for the week, just literally doing nothing. Um, and my kids got to meet their cousins who they had met before. Um, cause Jill's cousins had kids and I don't know. So it was just fun. It was a good time, but I didn't do anything nice. wild, which is what I like. We just drank beer at night and woke up too early with my kids in the morning. Definitely like spent every day feeling very tired. It wasn't the kind of vacation where you're like, well, I feel great going back to work. It was like, kind of drank a lot most nights. And then your kids wake you up five times and then <laughs> you're like getting up at seven thirty in the morning with a hangover. So I don't know. It wasn't like 
relax. Like it wasn't like super restful in that regard, but you know, it was vacation. So it was fun. Nice. But my question for you, Casey was now with this, uh, big time only fans, uh, change. You're going to be, Oh yeah. Going to be hurting. There's a lot of buzz right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're that. definitely in trouble because you recently started your own doing like it was like doing lactation vids or something like that. I forget what you were doing. It was weird. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, I was. I didn't think. I mean, it's not for me, but I. I mean, it was. It wasn't as, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. So I don't know. It's you. I mean, it fits. I, I was. In, I, I'm happy for you is all I'm trying to say. And I'm just uh, happy you're watching. I definitely don't think that's going to. La- yeah, I definitely don't think it's going to last. It's definitely going to get shut down. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a hot topic right now among our friends. Cuz we have a lot of friends. Yeah, I mean you get friends in that world. Yeah, a bunch. A bunch of friends that like that's either supplemental income or that's there's there's a bunch of them that that's like their full-time gig is only fans. You know, most of them have like three or four things, but that's the thing that brings in consistently like the most money, you know. And there's a lot of people that their whole livelihood is based around that. You know, yeah, because you could always count on the consistency of men wanting to masturbate the thing, right? And that's not going to change. Only, only the site's going to change. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's weird, man. It, it seems like such a an illogical move on their part. Like, I, apparently, like they're making these changes because they want to get in the app store and they want to be able to accept like Visa ma- or Mastercard and American Express payments yeah, or something like that's that. What I th- if there's nothing to pay for, then who cares? Like, if you if no you kidding. chase off I, all of the creators who are making money on there, then what is there going to be left? That's your whole business model. I know everybody's like, well, I you know, there's lots of different all things. It was. There's there's other things. I mean, how many but people the have vast majority of it is right? Not many. I yeah. mean, it's mostly like it's a lot of you know women who are. You know they're they're self sufficient and they have their own business and they make a living doing it and I don't understand like the vitriol towards people doing that. It seems so stupid to me that someone would get upset yeah. that like a person like took the initiative to to create a brand and like put their themselves out there like that. And I don't know. It's not easy and not everybody's successful at it. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, I'll. I'll I'll try it out and it doesn't go anywhere, you know? So these people have like built a fan base and brought all of these people to this website, you know, and have consistently brought in, you know, millions and millions of dollars for the site. And then they shoot them in the foot like that. It's, I don't understand it, Yeah, but it is a weird, there's other websites. Do you know where they draw the line? Like, do you know where they draw the line? Cause it's sexually, they said sexually explicit content or something like that. Yeah. It's not like they're, I haven't seen anything about a clearly drawn line about like what counts and what doesn't are tasteful. No. Moods okay. I, I think that that's the understanding right now is that like, it's not that you can't have like R rated content, but like people who are doing actual porn videos and stuff like that on there are, are going to be out of luck. But you know, that's the other thing about that community of people is like the other creators that are there they'll migrate away because they're pretty supportive of each other and they're just not going to stay on a platform that penalizes their friends and their coworkers and stuff. So there's other sites stepping up. Apparently there's one called like friendsly or something like that, that a lot of them are moving to. And 
Somebody's going to walk for like with the, open arms. I feel like the names for runner-up sites are never that great. Like the dating apps, things like that. The runner-up names are never, <laughs> right. they're never great. Friendsly, cool. OnlyFans, that's, that's a good name. Now, it's like, I, what's also strange about this move is like, my understanding of OnlyFans was that it's legitimately just like adult content. Like, I mean, what we could do, I mean, really, could could OnlyFans, it's not like it functions like a Patreon, but maybe we should, that maybe that should be our first dip into Patreon, just do OnlyFans instead. <laughs> maybe something like that. It's, <laughs> yeah, it functions like pretty much the same. The good thing about OnlyFans is that like, it doesn't, like people can't, take your content as easily like just download it and take it elsewhere which i mean people still do but it's not like patreon where it's like boom one click and you've got everything you know and it's just a lot easier to manage from the creator standpoint you don't have to be so interact i mean it's tough when somebody like pays for something in advance and then you have to like backfill their feed with content and stuff to try to earn what they've paid you, you know, we're on OnlyFans, like most of them have like some low price that you can subscribe for or else it's free. And then you choose if you want to like buy extra things. And so it's a uh, good format and somebody's going to take yeah. it and welcome all the people that they just like jilted. Yeah, definitely. I mean, those people are going to go somewhere if they really want to keep that kind of that business going. It's obviously lucrative, you know, it's definitely even no matter how extreme or mild your content is, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that crossed my mind when I was driving home from North Carolina um, or even driving there at all hours of the night uh, and you're passing like tr- like rest stops, like trucker rest stops and stuff like that. I thought about how like like truck stop hookers are like the most underpaid people in the country. Absolutely the most underpaid people in the country. There's no getting around that. I can't imagine going truck to truck being like, I don't deserve more. So, you know, OnlyFans, it seems like it's a little bit better of a pay grade and, you know, you're kind of building a different kind of fan base. So I don't know. I I feel like uh, it's definitely, I just, what I don't want to see is all these OnlyFans people going to truck, just being underpaid for their work, man. I mean, they work really hard. There's a direct it's not fit. Like pipeline. Yes. It's OnlyFans only to truck stop. down and everybody's in the stop. truck stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair, man. It's a trap. I mean, I, I'm campaigning on it. I'm definitely going for a representative and that's it, man. I mean, it's not fair. That's big man. of you. We need to do something about it. So I'm here. You're taking people. a hard stance on this. A hard, hard <laughs> stance. <laughs> no, I think it's like legitimately though, if you look at like, especially, you know, creators who make porn videos and things like that, like think about what their options were before sites like OnlyFans and Patreon and stuff. And it's like all of the horror stories, you know, what is it like Mia Khalifa? That's been really vocal about like her treatment in the, adult industry and she like yes it's exploited you know and basically made no money off of the whole experience and stuff and you know it's it's cool that like there's sites out there where if you want to make that kind of content like you can own it and it's you you know you're keeping what you produce it's definitely a lot better for creators but 
I don't know. It's just too bad that they decided to go this direction. And maybe with all the backlash, they'll back off a bit. Yeah, who knows? I mean, they're going to have to weigh their options here. Credit card companies are pretty powerful, but also they're making money now. Who knows what's going to happen if they make a switch like that? Yeah. It'll be weird. Could be Tumblr. It, yeah, it really. It could. Be. Now, you I don't know if back this on this is... as the uh, as the uh, Afghanistan exit of the uh, <laughs> self promo adult content online. I'm not really Perfect. tying the no, <laughs> tying you, my joke is... together very well. <laughs> I, I'm fully on board with that joke. I get it. You, you're all the people are leaving. I mean, it's kind of against their will, uh, but you know, it. I, I'm picking up what you're putting down here. And it's funny because I was legitimately just about to try to make a pivot to. I figured we would have, have to address <laughs> we that. We can't not talk about it, but it's better to talk about OnlyFans and adult content before jumping into something as awful as what's been going on in Afghanistan for twenty fucking years. I mean, seriously, God damn, how long has this been going on? And now, it's a disaster. It's an absolute fucking clusterfuck. It's a I just there's no way to even put words to this. And I feel like if anything's going to bring the left and the right together, it's just being like, holy fucking shit. This is a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been funny to listen to like all the different takes on it because it's like everybody tries to squeeze every issue into this like binary my side versus your side argument and stuff. And, you know, I, I listen to a bunch of different people give their their opinion on it and you know if uh so i'm a big fan of joe uh, rogan youtube channel called breaking (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm a big fan of joe rogan but uh (laughs) i'm a big fan of a youtube channel called breaking points and they always have like a really good perspective on things and you know what their take on it that i thought was really good was that there's like some things that you can some conclusions you can draw from how this went one of them is that this was so we were so underprepared for that exit. And that's not a something that happened in the last eight months. Like this oh, is, yeah, this is such a systematic failure on a, you know, on a national scale. Like this is something that's, I mean, it's taken two decades for us to get to this point where we just have just abject failure so pinning this on one guy or the other guy is ridiculous. The yeah, other thing it's is like three presidencies. Yeah. I mean, every single person after George W. Bush, all three of them ran on the platform of getting us out of Afghanistan. And, you know, honestly, like I think we would be in the exact same scenario we're in now, regardless of which person did it at what point in the timeline. Only, yeah, I, you know, if it was Obama, we would have saved 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> whatever a trillion dollars or whatever it was yeah it's opportunity I, I was listening to a few things on it throughout the week and you know even just hearing people like generals who were over there being like there was no clear direction we didn't really know what our goals were like i mean they're now they're like like pumping whatever there's a hotline for um veterans to call if they're struggling with thoughts of suicide it's like they're pumping that hotline out oh it's man like, I mean, imagine spending fucking almost 20 years. I mean, you could have lit like you only have to spend 20 years in the fucking military to retire full pension. The amount of people probably some people probably spent a lot of their career over there. It's not back and forth or there at the beginning, like the amount of people who have 
considered taking their lives over this to only see it amount to literally nothing is yeah. so fucking terrible. Like even, the, like, even thinking the... about like the veterans who have to experience that and to know, like, I mean, first of all, like what the, the, the military industrial complex of the United States is built on convincing people. All the U S does is win. That's it. We win. We're bigger. We're better. We win. And we spent 20 fucking years in the desert with nothing to show for it, except for, I don't know, a bad human rights track record when we don't let any of the people we fucked over here for as refugees. Like now's a great time to take their hardline stance on refugees. It's like, I don't know. You don't really get to just flip a country up on its head and then just be like, and oh, whoops, our bad. I guess you guys are on your own. And then just blame the system for why it's not working out for them. Well, you know, we do have a system for letting in refuge. It's the whole thing is a nightmare. I can't, I can't even fathom the experience that people who have had any, who live there, who have any, who have any, who have been, who have tied to this in any way. It's awful. No. And like, I think the most ridiculous opinions to have about this, one of, one of which is the, the few that strike me as just super annoying is, one is like acting like the war on terror was going really well until Biden took office. Yeah. Shut yeah. Up. I haven't Get seen a lot of, of that. that. I've seen some. Yeah. Or, you know, we're in to, different parts like, of the country. We're seeing different things maybe <laughs> for like, it's really, it seems really popular to talk about the Afghan, the Afghan security force, military, whatever you want to call them as like cowards that threw down their guns and ran. And like, come to find out, like I I listened to a journalist, an Afghan journalist talk about the, how the, you know, for years, like these guys have been getting just the worst gear because it's all, it's, this is all just defense contractors and stuff. Oh yeah. So like the money we, we did spend trillions of dollars on things, but they just got divvied up among the, like, you know, the people administering all this stuff. So, you know, we allocate however many millions of dollars for uniforms and they get like these garbage, like Cold War era, you know, surplus uniforms that don't make any sense in the climate that they're in. Like I heard him, like the journalist that I listened to was talking about how like a lot of them, like their, their checks haven't been coming consistently, like their, their payroll and stuff like that. They've had to buy their own boots and things and like just- There's so much that's gone on that it's hard. It's we're going to get a media blackout on it pretty soon, I think. And then everybody will move on. But like there's why would these Afghan military personnel fight for like this just corrupt garbage, like puppet government that we've set up, you know, especially and you're talking about places where they don't have like ready access to Internet and things like that, you know, when Taliban leaders show up and show that they've been meeting with world leaders and stuff like that. I mean, what are these guys supposed to do? You know, right. No kidding. I mean, even Trump met with the Taliban or like made some cool negotiations or whatever the fuck that was. But I mean, even after our, after the U S leaving, it's like they left a bunch of shit there and they're like, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, all those weapons, that we left everything that's just that was there that we had i mean they evacuated essentially and they're like that's all the taliban's now the taliban just grabbed it all yeah it's like and you know to think that we couldn't have taken 
that we couldn't have done something to get some of that gear and, and some of the personnel and stuff out of there before. This. I mean, it's not like they just picked an arbitrary date on the calendar two weeks ago and said, ah, this is it. Pack up your stuff. This has been coming for a while. And, you know, the idea that all of this stuff was left behind out of necessity and things is ridiculous. Yeah. I think it was, I mean, I've heard suggestions saying that like, this was a ploy by like mil, you know, the, upper echelon leadership that's invested in us staying there forever to to keep us there you know it's like one more well hey you know we've got people on the ground there that you know allies and stuff we've got military equipment there that we haven't had time to evacuate yet who knows but there's just a lot of people that are already like pushing the narrative that like we have to go back like we have to go stabilize the country for this that and the other i think what's really shit about the whole thing is like all we, people have been saying for a long time and we realize that this war is amounting to literally nothing. It's not protecting. It's not U.S. protection. It's not like whatever, whatever was being peddled was clearly untrue. And most people saw through that. That's why under Trump, when he's like, we want to, I mean, Obama wanted to bring people home from Afghanistan. Then Trump says it. Now I'm sure a lot of people, depending on who they supported, switched teams at some point based on that. Uh, if they're not, you know, overly intentional about self-introspection, but I'm like, there it just, what's so wild is like, there's just nothing good. Like there's no, like you can't look back on this and say what we should have done. You can't even look at it and say what we need to do. Like it's all bad. And I think this is like a very interesting example of we don't have a, there's no good option. Like, like every option is the wrong thing. It's all wrong. It's all morally corrupt. It's all bad. And like you can't stay there. What's that? We we, it's been bad for twenty years, and you leave, and you knew this was going to happen. I but it seems to me the most disgusting aspect of all of this is like we're just trying to wipe our hands clean of it, and hearing the way that Biden talks about like oh how how we'll like oh we'll take people from Afghanistan, but you know we won't you know but there's due process, and it's like fuck off, dude. Like. Anyone that helped the United States should be evacuated immediately without question. Like the amount of people who are left there that have just translated for the U S army for the past 20 years that are like being left high and dry. Like all the people who fought for women's rights over there, you know, and became voices and ran and actually like got a position in their government. That's over. You think the Taliban is just going to allow women to stay in government? Fuck no. So like, when you look at all of this shit and you see the U S response of just like, we're just trying to wash our hands clean of it real quick and pretend like, you know, you can't fix everything. It's like, fuck you. Like you can't just not fix it. You've fucking destroyed it. And now you're all like, ah, sorry. You can't commit. Like, I mean, we should be bending over backwards to, to rehome people and, and set them up in a way is safe. And I don't know that's, what's really it's crazy is that like, there's so many things that when you start looking back at history, like, and you, and you really like dig into the weeds on some of this stuff, mm-hmm. like this happens every time, like, uh, yeah. every single time. If you were helping like the opposite, like the, the occupying government, they always leave you high and dry. You're not one of them, you know, and they always treat you as an <laughs> other and it's terrible. And like, I don't know. I, I think like maybe it's a cynical take into some extent, but like people have this, I like this, tendency to romanticize historical 
world, you know, like uh, wars and different things like that. Like people right. talk about World War II as if it was like that was the good war, you know. And there's clear like, winners and losers as opposed and to it like was just we were the honorable ones. We were the clear cut good guys and they were the clear cut bad. There's no good guys and bad guys in a lot of these scenarios. Yeah. We were the clear cut well, winners because we were across the ocean and didn't have a war torn country to reassemble. Yeah, I should say I should change that. There's I know. No, I know conflict. what you were saying. There's not clear cut good guys, but yeah. there's a lot of times clear cut bad guys, you know, yeah, yeah. and I just think that like we ended up in Afghanistan because partly because we got whipped up into this like romantic, patriotic fury after 9-11. And oh, yeah. 100%. It's just, I mean, it's a lesson to us, I think. I mean, a costly one that cost a lot of people their life. I mean, how many people, if you add up, I mean, American military personnel aside, like how many Afghan citizens and, and, you know, Iraqi civilians died as a result of what we left behind. And, you know, this is the one that we talk about. Like we never talk about Libya and Syria or, you know, after we helped to destabilize their governments and then just left them in ruins. I mean, yeah, like this is just a, it's, there's nothing good about invading foreign countries and like, just tearing down their their government, you know. Yeah. It's just Pretending not the like way trying to, to establish democracy in the right. Yeah, it's it's leftover colonial nonsense. And you know, I mean, it's understandable that we all, that most of us, jumped on board after nine eleven and stuff. But now we know, so let's not do that anymore. You yeah. know, <laughs> I don't want to hear about terrorism. I just like this is a this is something we should never repeat. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I guess we'll go out on that low note and uh, <laughs> introduce our guest. Uh, I have a lot not, of feelings. Yeah. <laughs> no, this, yeah, we could not. I feel like I was, it's so funny that you transitioned into it the way you did. Cause I was literally had a, a another shitty transition on deck to. Bring Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Let's uh, say all the things we need to say. Okay. One thing I will say, because not a lot of people are saying it. And I think it's fair is that I think we can look at this now. And we can all pretty much agree that to some extent, this was going to be a disaster no matter when it happened. Yeah. And I will, I, I think it's worth giving Biden a pat on the back for being the one that was willing to like suffer the PR blow, if you want to call it that, of like pulling out. I mean, because like said, champ. everybody re- ran on that platform of like getting us out of Afghanistan. No one was willing to do it until now. And I'm sure everybody knew that when it was their turn to make the decision, like this is going to be bad. Like this yeah. is going to be awful. The Taliban's going to take over. And he, he did it. And I think ultimately, like, I think it's going to be proved to be a good decision, but yeah. yeah, I'd give him a bigger pat on the bat, bat back. If he set up um, a bet, if there was a better system in place to help evacuate uh, really anybody who that we handed He's not a logistics guy. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I wouldn't give him Yeah, you're right. He's uh he's he's the idea man, right? No. <laughs> you got to delegate, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right, whatever. Zach Levitt is our guest. That I loved it. I loved having him on. So we've talked about gangster capitalism a bunch. Um, he's the showrunner for it. He does everything. Uh, what we didn't bring up, uh, and this is the only thing I'm really going to say before we just go ahead and kick this off is, um, 
I mean, he's done, he's been doing documentaries forever and he started out with ESPN and what we didn't bring up with him on, uh, and maybe he wouldn't have wanted us to, cause it would have felt like, you know, people don't always like having all their achievements thrown in their face in an interview because they don't know how to respond. But the guy's an Emmy winner for his documentaries. Like he is Emmy Peabody. Uh, yeah. He won an NAACP award. He's, this he's guy's, got like a crazy resume. Yeah. Talking like he, I mean, his, his Emmy was for um, a 30 for 30 that he did with ESPN. And I mean, he just, this guy's uh, the documentary King. Uh, he knows how to capture story. Uh, he knows how to just, not only capture people's stories and, but, you know, tell them and, and bring interesting things to light. I mean, he's, it's not like he's consistent in like the topics that he uh, approaches uh, and like the amount of work and investigation and interviews. I mean, he runs the show. I mean, he conducted hundreds of interviews just for season three of gangster capitalism. This guy, he's a truly incredible person. And it was really nice to be able to talk to him and, and hear about the making of season three of Gangster Cap. Had a lot to say about ourselves. So, yeah. It's, if you haven't listened to season three of Gangster Capitalism, whether or not you have any connection to Liberty, because I know we probably bore people sometimes because we talk about it, so because it's close to us, you'll enjoy it. It it has like such broader implications for the rest of the country and our political system. So it's very good. And uh, another one that he did, he talked about a little bit while we were talking to him, is a podcast series called Root of Evil. And it's about the the family of the primary suspect in the Black Dahlia murder and all of the crazy things that happened to them over the years as a result of this one horrible guy in their in their timeline is uh, is another one that's really great. I binged it after, after our discussion here. So... Definitely check those out. Uh, I think C13 Originals is his company that uh, puts out a lot of these. Yep. Yeah, they do uh, great original stuff. work. Yeah. So that being said, uh, if you're not in the Discord, jump in there. Hang out with us. All the links are in our social media profiles. And like always, if you're enjoying the show, and I know we got a bunch of new people here recently. So welcome. Thank you for coming. If you're having a good time, you like the show, We'd really appreciate it if you'd share with a friend and maybe leave us a review on iTunes. And that being said, enjoy our conversation with Zach Levin. Hey, everybody. We're back with our guest, Zach Levitt, uh, the writer, director, producer for the C-13 original Gangster Capitalism, which you've, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast at all, you definitely heard Casey and I rave about as we uh, binged it fairly quickly so zach we're super excited to talk to you thanks so much for joining us how you doing i'm doing well and i i first of all if you hear any thunder in the background i apologize there's a storm going on outside but thank you so much for having me i appreciate it yeah definitely zach i'm you know i feel like in the past couple days i've learned a lot about you and um i'm interested in a number of things about how you kind of got into uh, podcasting, but I want to get a little bit of your backstory and kind of like how you, because I mean, you started out di- making films, a lot of documentaries in the sports world. Uh, so shifting from sports to podcasting about some of the stuff that you've covered in Gangster Capitalism is really interesting to me. But how did you even get started in the industry? Kind of take us off from there. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a long story that I'll try to make as succinct as possible. Um I, I was pre-med actually in college and no way. Uh, 
Yeah, and I, I realized uh, by my junior year, I think it was organic chemistry, that uh, maybe I didn't want to be a doctor <laughs> based, on, based on organic chemistry. Um, and I ended up, uh, I was in South Florida. I ended up going to uh, graduate school for, for sports management and um, was able to transition into a job at, uh, at the NBA, at NBA Entertainment, and sort of put in my... Um, as I say, my, you know, 10,000 hours, uh, probably a lot more than that of editing and, 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 uh, producing and sort of work my way up to, um, to being the director and lead producer for, and sort of the lead creative, uh, for NBA entertainment. And what that meant was, um, producing and directing all of our long form content. So there were opportunities where, ESPN had come to us to to make uh, thirty for thirty films, and and so so I was um, given the opportunity to to lead up those projects. So I wrote and directed several um, ESPN thirty for thirties, and then um, was asked to start an originals division for Cadence thirteen to, to so C thirteen could produce its own uh, documentary stories. Um, oh, and wow. so I, I, I took that job happily because it was a chance to tell some really unique, um, and interesting stories that were as far from sports as, as could possibly be. Um, and I love the idea of that. Um, and so the first one I did was called root of evil, which became a really big, uh, true crime podcast. Um, and you know, sort of true crime was obviously really big still is. Yeah. Uh, right. And we were just, you know, we thought of ways to put our own unique twist, I guess, on true crime. And, and that led to, to ultimately to gangster capitalism. Okay. Man, because that's, I mean, so how long did you spend in the sports world then before? Um, before 20 years. And then you just, I mean, your name had just um, popped up enough and was on C-13's radar where they just came looking for you, huh? Well, yeah, they, they had, um, I mean, to... to I don't want to get too in the weeds, but they, they had, uh, they had asked me to do a podcast about, um, David Ortiz, big pop. Okay. Okay. Uh, that makes which sense. Is a sports podcast. But, but what I will say is every, every doc that I've done, um, even though we're at the time, even though they were sports docs, I was very interested in the human aspect of the story. So I was always pushing to try to tell, uh, the most human story that I could tell um, and, and the analogy that I always use is if my wife is sitting next to me on the couch, um, or my family, you know, or my mother or somebody like that, how are they going to be able to relate to somebody like Dr. J, right? Um, as an athlete, they're not, but they're going to be able to relate to, um, him as a person and the loss that he had in his life. The loss is, um, and the human aspect of who he is. And that, that was always where I was leaning in my story. So when I, when I got an opportunity to actually really, you know, dive into some really personal stories, um, family trauma, things like that, that's, that's where I always wanted to be. So, you know, people always ask me, you know, making the transition from sports to these true crime podcasts or, or, you know, um, society and culture podcast. It wasn't a big leap for me because that's always where my head was at anyway. Okay. South Florida seems like the true crime podcast capital. Cause you got like sword and scales out of there, I think. And then, uh, 
man, you want to talk about like a sports one that pulled me in. Uh, have, have you guys seen Screwball, the baseball documentary? You know, I never watched it, but I, I think that was, was that a John Hawk film? It's the guy who that, did like Cocaine Cowboys and stuff oh, like that. Oh, Billy Corbin. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, yes. I, I didn't watch it, but I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it. Yeah, Billy Corbin is this, uh, the South Florida, the Miami uh, doc guy. He did the U. Um, great filmmaker. Yeah, absolutely. So has true crime always been like an interest for you then? I mean, was that something that was always on your radar? Not, uh, you know, uh, the the short answer is no. Um, and, you know, I think, like I, like I was saying, I think that the, the human side of these things, how specifically how people deal with, with trauma interests me. Um, and I think that that's a through line in a lot of my work, at least a lot of my podcast work. And, you know, Root of Evil is arguably one of the darkest podcasts you can listen to. It's about the Black Dahlia murder from 1947. Oh, man. I I was... Okay, well, my actually introduction to the Black Dahlia murder was actually there's a metal band called the Black Dahlia murder. Um, right. But that was... Um, but I didn't even realize that was a real murder at first. That was when I was in high school, like early... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whatever, 14, 15. It and was then that movie cool. came out with Josh yeah, Hartman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was it like... Was- what? It was real and it was really, really, um, as I said, dark. But I, I told that story through the eyes of the family of the prime suspect. Um, and they, you know, it's a wild, wild story. And so, um, you know, the, 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 I, and I know we want to talk about gangster capitalism. But no, this I, is great. You, I'm interested in is, hearing how you got there, too. Is the... Uh, the son of the prime suspect grew up to be an LAPD homicide detective, and he ended up investigating his own father in the murder um, posthumously after his father had died. Uh, and he finds all of this evidence. And, you know, as far, far as I'm concerned, he solved the murder mystery. But the crazy part of the story is that the trauma that rippled through generations of this family. Um, and so I, I was able to get them all to, to participate and actually get wow. together. And, um, and so, to, you know, Casey, your question about true crime, my, my goal in that story was to, to tell a family story um, with this uh, notorious unsolved murder threaded throughout. Um, and so it's sort of two narratives in one in that podcast. And like I said, it's super, super dark. But I, I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of drawn to finding the light in these stories. I mean, I, you know, did one last year called Relative Unknown about a woman who grew up in witness protection and her father was uh, a notorious hell's angel uh, in the 70s and, and um, became a government witness. He was a murderer. And so, you know, how do people like that, how is she able to find happiness in her life, find the light, right? In, in, amidst all of this incredible darkness, you know, that fascinates me. Um, and it, and I'm inspired by people like that. And I think, you know, to, when you look at gangster capitalism, episode three, for example, um, with the, the these survivors of sexual yeah. violence and campus, who trusted me enough to tell their stories, you know, again, I'm inspired by, by them and by their courage and, and, um, their willingness to to tell their stories, to tell these awful stories, 
really in the hopes that they can prevent that from happening to others like them um, coming after them. So, um, you know, just to wrap that up, I, I think, I, yeah, like, like I said, I, I think I'm inspired. I, 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 I'm, I'm amazed by the strength of, um, it seems like it's most often in the stories that I tell by these women who, uh, who, who find the, this inner strength and resilience and, and resolve. Um, and, and yeah, I'm just totally inspired by them. Yeah. Did you, when you got into podcast, did you feel like, you know, going from directing, you know, video documentaries, did you feel like you lost something or had a, was it a difficult transition losing the video component or did that, what was that like? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, you know, I, I, I love being able to tell stories in a, you know, in a visual medium, um, because I love, I love framing up shots and finding an artistic way to convey something without saying anything um, and setting up interviews. And um, I love, I I love film, but as far as uh, the storytelling piece, I mean, people, I've, I've often been asked, is it easier to do a podcast? Um, And logistically uh, it's easier in some cases because if I'm flying out to a location to do an interview, I don't have to travel with, you know, my cameraman, my audio tech, grip and lighting and, and do all of that and, and find a location, you know, I can just show up with a, with a, with a, with, you know, an audio tech to record audio. Um, so, so it's easier in that respect, but, but the storytelling muscles are exactly the same and production wise, it's the same lift. It's the same amount of research that goes into it. Um, it's the same amount of time that it takes to edit these and write these. I mean, it's an incredible amount of work because you're telling the same story. You're just not using that visual. So, so the amount of work that goes into it, um, is basically exactly the same. I remember like at some point, Sam listened to gangster capitalism before I did. And I remember at one point to him texting me and just being like, dude, this goes far like there was a lot of work put into this thing and I just gotta say all of us that went to liberty which sam and i met there and stuff when we heard that this podcast series was coming there was like a ripple of enthusiasm you know because all of us we all know people who stayed at liberty and worked there after the fact i mean that was a really common movement sam did that for a while and uh there was just like this consistent stream of negative stories and stuff like that. So it was really cool to hear somebody really dissect what was going on at Liberty behind the scenes and really from the top down. How did you end up, how did you end up looking at Liberty? Like uh, with everything crazy that happened around the election and stuff like that, what was it that drew you to the Falwell story? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I, you know, we, we, um, we look at a lot of stories after we finish the the prior season. Um, you know, what's in the news, what's been out there, what do we feel like we can sort of add to? Um, and at this point we, we, you know, after season two, which we did on the NRA, um, which I thought, you know, I thought we took uh, a unique position on in that season. Um, just to talk about that for a quick second, because, you know, we wanted to stay away from the gun debate uh, because we okay. didn't want to immediately turn people off. We wanted to, there was enough meat on the bone talking about the financial um, improprieties there 
that we didn't really we, we didn't want to be another voice in the gun debate. We wanted to get at the heart of what's wrong with the NRA. Right. It's not about whatever your feeling is on guns. And we all have our feelings on them. We wanted to keep that out, uh, good or bad, um, and focus on, you know, what was going on. Basically, the fact that these executives were pocketing membership money. I mean, that's that's what it came down to. Um, so, you know, we we made some news in that season, but you know, early on, it was it was sort of a question of how how can we take all of these threads that are out there about this story and put them all together in a unique and an entertaining way, um, and also hopefully get people to talk that have never spoken before, which we did, and um, break some news maybe in the process, which we also did. So coming off of that season. We wanted to do something even bigger. You know, the NRA, I think uh, you, you, you might not think about a story like the NRA and say, oh, I'm going to be entert- entertained listening to this story. Once you start listening, I think people will be for sure. But that might not, you know, hook people in. When the Falwell story came out, we knew that the salacious piece of that would, would sort of be the bait, Right. But again, we didn't want to be another voice in the swirling stew of news reports about, oh, a sex scandal was going on and this and that and, the you know, snickering about it. We didn't want to poke fun. You know, as you guys have heard, we're we're sort of like, you know, it's it's extremely thoroughly researched and we want to make sure we're 100 percent accurate and we're also not going to take shots at anybody. So the same way we didn't, um, you know, take a position in the gun debate, we wanted to, we wanted to just put the facts out there. So in looking at the, at the Falwell story, we knew that people would be interested in that piece, but we also felt like there's a lot more there. Like if we dig a little bit, um, and we get one or two people to start talking, we felt like, there might be an opportunity for a lot of people to talk. And that's exactly what happened. And so, you know, the, 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 the junk, the, the pool boy story is one episode of eight episodes, right? Yeah. Um, and so Which I yes, love that. I like that it was one episode. So I, there was other podcast. I don't even remember the names of them, but there was like some podcast series that kind of just focused on the sex scandal of it. And in some way, like there's only so much you can do with that. But when, when I, and to be honest, when I started listening to Gangster Capitalism season three, I was, I thought a lot more of it was going to have to do with that because um, that's what people were talking about. That's been one of the, like you said, it was very salacious. Uh, evangelical, you know, president of university having sex scandal is always going to bring in um, some, I don't know, a lot of interest. Uh, so, but when I realized that only one, I mean, it was kind of like one episode devoted to kind of specific topics and that's what i i really got hooked quick was realizing how quick like how thorough that was going and i felt like i was sucked in early on with with the narrative that you guys were taking with it because especially as someone who went there in this case you was saying like you always heard stories i mean i was one two degrees of separation from jerry jr in a lot of ways i attended the university the same time that trey falwell did and people would there was some I don't know. There's always rumors going around. True, not true. Um, possibly some confirmed by gangster capitalism. Uh, it was that was so fascinating to me, and I liked that. That I liked that take, and 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 not the 
like that's that focus on just the sex scandal piece of it. And that's, so that was and if it's any consolation, just know that we took enough shots at him for, for all of us. <laughs> so we kind of bore your cross there a little bit. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I think it's easy to poke fun, you know, and that's something that we didn't want to do. Um, we wanted to take a really sober look at, the school, because what I will say is, is, um, and people can say what they want and believe what they want, um, that, that we, you know, that we had an agenda that we want to see Liberty burned to the ground. That is absolutely not true. Um, and in fact, so many people that we had spoken to, um, you know, they have a vested interest. You guys have a vested interest in seeing Liberty succeed. I mean, it's, it's Liberty's on your resume, right? You have a, you have a diploma hanging somewhere from Liberty. Um, so anybody with a diploma from Liberty or um, a, an administrator or a member of the faculty, everybody wants to see it do well. And so, and, and I think that's the reason why people are speaking out um, because clearly, well, Jerry, Jerry Falwell Jr. is gone. But clearly the board needs to be overhauled, right? The, pe- the people time. that enabled him. Um, and, and all of the people that I spoke to are extraordinary people. They're, they're brave, of course, for speaking, but also they're, they're just, they're amazing people. And they had nothing but amazing things to say about the people that they worked with at Liberty, who all, again, want to see, see it succeed, are working super hard to see that that happens. And, you know, there are just all these obstacles in their way that really need to be uh, cleared in order for it to move forward. So we we did not have an agenda. We do not have an agenda. We and and, and clearly, if you listen to the podcast, I think that comes through because um, it's it's facts. We put out the facts. You know, we, we have the receipts um, and we don't take a position. I would argue we don't take a position on anything. We're, we're just putting this. Uh, these stories out there. Um, and, and I know it's hard for people to listen to. I know that I see, I see the things on, on social media, on Twitter about people having to stop people crying, listening. And, and that's sad to me, but at the same time, we know that if we can tap into anger, into the, the emotion of anger, when people listen to gangster capitalism, which I think we've done now in all three seasons, if we can tap into that, that well of anger or bring that up in people, that's when true action can happen, right? Because people then start to speak out. They feel upset enough to speak out. So if, if, if we can do something to create that sort of anger or that desire to, uh, you know, to speak out or to, to be a participant in the, in the potential change, then we know that we're in the right ballpark. Um, and that's what we've tried to do. I think Sam and I kind of echo that sentiment that like, we really loved Liberty. Like there was things about it that sucked, you know, and there was definitely some stuff that, that just, you know, made you angry while you were there. You know, we didn't even, I don't, I mean, I don't think either one of us even dealt with anything like most of the people that talked on the podcast, but it's an inherently a pretty cool place. It just has some really bad policies and some people that just need to go. 
you're right about the board of directors and stuff like that needs to be tilled over and replaced. Um, because obviously that was part of, you know, that, that was a symptom of the environment that they had created there. It wasn't, it wasn't just Jerry in a vacuum doing those things. Yeah. So talking about like the people, you know, the sheer amount of interviews that you must have done to get ready for this had to be, it had to be astronomical. And like, how, how do you go about like putting the word out to the general public that you're looking for people to talk about those subjects? How do you like vet that information and those interviews when you get them? Because I mean, I'm sure you get some people that you have to, it's hard to use some of their, their statements and stuff like that. Like what, what does that even look like as a process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think you start to, 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 to sort of look at it, uh, I guess in steps, you know, step one is reading everything you possibly can about the school, um, what's been written in the media, uh, you know, from every possible source, right? I mean, you, you want to get, um, as round of a picture of, uh, the history, both the history of the school, um, its current state, what's gone on, the incidents, people's reactions, all of those things. We're talking about, you know, reading books on the history, um, even, you know, wider research uh, on evangelicalism or, you know, Lynchburg or, or you know, you're, you're trying to get as broad of a scope um, of what's going on as possible. And then from there, um, you know, maybe you start reaching out to people who have spoken to the press already, right? That, that might be the first step. Um, and then they might say, well, I have somebody that you should speak with, right? Or I have two, two people that you should speak with. And then you speak to those people and they say, well, I have three people that you should speak with. And you know, this, this isn't anything that happens quickly. Um, but over time, I mean, I, I think I probably spoke to about 100 people for this, you know, way more than any other project I've ever done. Wow. Um, and th that's on and off the record. And, and that runs the gamut as far as um, stud current past students, um, past board members, uh, you know, current and former faculty administrators, um, people that have reported on Liberty in the past for years. Um, you know, just everybody, friends of, you know, former friends of the Falwells or, or employees and people that reported to him. And so you get all of that and you try to build up a level of, of trust, which I think, you know, we were able to do with, with a large amount of these people. And some people just simply did not want to be out there, but we're willing to provide as much information as possible. And then, of course, you have to corroborate that. You know, you need documentation, um, emails, or, or 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 you know, actual documents, or um, you know, corroboration from other people that they spoke to at the time. The same way that you would hope any good journalist um, would would prepare their story, right? It's this, it's the same sort of beats. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you speak to one or two people who have, you know, you built, like I said, you build up that level of trust. You know, these people have a story to tell, but they don't want to tell it. And eventually, you know, maybe they hear that you're speaking to somebody else and they, they gather the courage to tell their story. Um, and then once that happens, 
two more people come out. And so that's the beauty of this thing. The, the difficulty is, you, you know, we might have a, 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 an idea of how the season is going to play out and what the topics of the episodes will be. Um, and we might even have, you know, a, a rough script written for one of them. And then you get an amazing story and you vet that out. And that, you know, that sort of supersedes the the other story that you have. So the beauty of this season was a lot of amazing stuff ended up hitting the cutting room floor. Um, amazing stories. And when that happens, you sort of know that you that you have the goods, right? When good stuff is hitting the cutting room floor, um, that's a great problem to have because you're, you, you, you know, you know, you have some really, um, worthy stories. Yeah. I don't recall if, um, the average, the average time length of each episode or if there was one, it's over an hour, a little over an hour. I can't, can't remember. So, I mean, but you're working eight to 10 hours for the season, right? It's about that. Yeah, these episodes were longer than prior ones. I think season two was right in the 40 to 45 minute range okay. per episode. This this one was definitely longer. Episode three was like an hour and 15 minutes, which, you know, um, on paper is incredibly long. And I, uh, you know, my initial instinct was to cut it down. But then um, I thought that it was, you know, going to be taking the teeth out That's of that. A big episode, one. You know? Yeah, no, that one was big. That one was really important. I, I mean, when you're looking at putting that much, I mean, the amount of interviews you do, obviously, you know, you're, you're cutting stuff to make it fit. You're trying to get the most concise information there. I mean, how, what's the process? I mean, I know what, what's the timeline really that you're working with? when you're putting together to get these eight, nine, 10 hours for a season? I mean, how, how long is the production on this and, and how long does it, Never on. long I mean, enough. <laughs> unbelievably difficult to fit that in. I mean, if you're putting a season out every year, trying to fit that, it sounds like an incredible process to try to squeeze that in and get it cut and ready to publish. Yeah, it's a lot of um, it's a lot of nights and weekends and long hours. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's you know, I've been doing this for a while, so I think you know, our team has a pretty good sense of what's gonna cut through the clutter and what's going to resonate, um, and feel impactful. Uh, but yeah, I mean, these things are living, breathing documents. I'm talking about the scripts, um, you know, and, and they're constantly changing up until sometimes, you know, the, the, the episodes get published, I think at like 3am. I mean, sometimes we're making a change at, you know, midnight, um, you know, so there was one episode that somebody who I had been trying to get a comment from, uh, and I don't remember if I mentioned this in the episode, um, but I had been trying to get a comment from him and I had emailed him, I think a month prior. And he finally got back to me at like 10 PM the night before the episode was publishing. And, you know, I wanted to be fair to him. So we added his comments into the episode before it published at 3 AM. Um, so you're, you know, you're, there are always, <laughs> there are always things constantly being thrown at you or thrown at the story. And our team does a really good job of, of, you know, of knowing that that's going to happen and knowing that that's part of the process and embracing that to some degree. Um, you know, 
with the eye on let's put out the best possible version of this episode we can. Um, so yeah, it's a long process, um, but it makes it all the all the all the better when it drops and there's a positive reaction to it. Was there any part of this, like especially being that every episode was like a different segment of the story that you were looking at? Was there any of the pieces that like, because I mean, you did research ahead of time, but when you started looking at any of these individual topics for the episode, were there any of them that you got to and you're like, oh my God, this is way bigger than I thought it was? Yeah, I mean, 1000% the, 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 the sexual violence and, and harassment story, you know, um, from the moment I began uh, I wouldn't say began the research, but began, you know, after doing the initial research, which is consuming all of the content that you can, right? Whether it's print or um, here, listening to interviews, whatever, um, and, and trying to, you know, memorize all of these things, gain a, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, gain an encyclopedic knowledge of what's gone on at Liberty over the last few decades. Once, once, at least for me, for my process, once I'm there, um, you know, then you start speaking to people, right? Um, because you can sort of, you know, speak, speak about the same thing in an intelligent way, I guess. Um, but I kept hearing early on from the people that I was speaking to, you have to look into the Title IX violations. You have to look into that. And my answer was always, well, we're looking into it, but you can't just say I'm looking into the Title IX violations. You have to sort of break that wall. Right. Um, and it, it, I think, you know, at the same time that we were speaking to one of the women in episode three, based on that level of trust that, um, was developed with some of the sources, other stories came to me, right. Other, other women reached out and were ready to tell their story. Now, all of a sudden the look into title IX thing is a real thing. And when I first heard some of those stories, I could not believe that, I mean, these things happen on every college campus, but things are done about them, you hope. At at a bare minimum. At least paperwork is filed. Yeah, exactly. If these complaints are actually filed and made, the, 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 the campus is beholden to that. They have to respond. And so to see, um, to see them, uh, to see how systemic it was and how these voices were systematically silenced and this cover-up culture was was really eye-opening and astounding and heartbreaking and that's when we knew wow this is this is going to be a real story like this is people are going to have a a a big response to this but also um this speaks to a whole other level of what's going on there, what has gone on there, the the culture um, there, the cover up culture that people might not know about. Like, did you guys when you were when you were on campus, like, did you ever hear about things like this being covered up? Like, I'm curious to hear what your experience was. You would hear like you would hear like yeah. rumors about rumors. things that happened, but there was no there was no information disseminated about it. You know, like I remember at one point while we were on campus. There was like this rumor just like frantically being spread that like guys, there was like a couple of guys and they had like a minivan with a sliding door and they had tried to pull a girl into the minivan while she was walking on campus at night. 
And there was like always stuff like that that got circulated around, but like you never heard it from an official source. Like it was never on the school website. Nobody ever made an an announcement and said like, hey, look out for Vance. You know, it was just always sort of uh, the student body had to spread it, you know. Yeah. With all due respect, I think we have to acknowledge that President Falwell did did respond uh, through emails to these accusations, but he just disregarded them. To, to which accusation? <laughs> They're the ones that you're talking just, about? No, just the, the, the one with the, the girl and her roommate that were emailing back and forth oh, with oh, right. Jerry yeah. Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah. a rape situation yeah. and stuff, and, and just the blatant disregard straight from the president's mouth. Yeah. Documented in emails. It was terrible. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, and then, of course, um, be, after meeting with uh with ron godwin being sent to what who she thought was was a counselor who turns out to be ron godwin's wife um it, you know it just became clear the lengths that would be ta- that 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 they would go to to cover these things up um as opposed to just saying wow right. I, I, i'm so sorry that you were gang raped we, yes whatever you feel like needs to be done let's have that conversation because we can never let this happen again so whether it's security cameras or call boxes or you know disseminating information to the student body about a, a potential um you know stalker or rapist or whatever the case yes let's do all of that but to ignore these um these pleas for help to to go to these lengths to cover it up um that to me made made this story more unique than um, than I think than what happens on other college campuses. Mm-hmm, for sure, one of the things I really struggle to understand is, um, you know, when you look at all the other issues that are covered in this season, between obviously the sex scandal, or I mean, God, I mean, just the way that people are treated at the school. Like, there's so many things that are covered, but and you can, despite it being clearly immoral you can understand the motivations for an evangelical university to cover up certain things that could result because it always comes down to protecting your finances but like i i struggle to understand the motivation on suppressing rapes on campus on their title nine violations like it does that i mean that is something that's happening at every campus at like one of the things that uh, one of the people that you that were spoken to in that episode talked about the, the how alarmingly low uh, the, the percentage was there, which is a major red flag and, and should kind of keep people in that. It's cl- like, it's just not that low anywhere ever. And that's just right. the sad nature of the world we live in. But to, for them to have like the, the motivation for covering that up is really difficult for me to understand because it's not going to hit their finances. It's not going to, it's not going to create some like reputation that other, that's that other schools don't have. I don't know. It's, it doesn't really make sense to me. And I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to protect there. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the rational point of view. What you just articulated is the rational point of view, right? Like what could be the motivation for covering up a rape on campus? I mean, that could never be, good. Um, I think what we found was, you know, really that it comes down to that gangster capitalism piece. You know, at the heart of it, this podcast, you know, 
has has a has a huge financial component, right? Um, and I think you know, in order to be, um, in order to continue to receive what the second most financial aid in the country from the yeah. Department of Education, um, or at least at the time, I you know, you have to appear to be Title IX compliant, and so if you're not, you have to go to great lengths to cover these these things up. Um, so there's that. And also to be able to report that you're the safest campus in Virginia or in the country or whatever the ranking is, you need in order to uphold that ranking, you know, there can't be rapes that are reported um, or a preponderance of rapes. Right. Like you have to keep that number down. So so, a, 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 you know, a structure is set up to cover these things up to perpetuate, um, you know, their ability to, to receive that amount of financial aid or, or, you know, to, to be able to say that they're the safest campus so that, you know, students keep rolling in. Um, so I think, you know, at the end of the day, the motivation is money and, and, and image, you know, well, but as we know, image equals money, right? Um, Yeah, that definitely is true. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, um, while a rational person would say what you just said, you know, I, I think that this became, um, you know, an environment that was put into place uh, deliberately, you know, to be able to to tout themselves as the safest campus in Virginia or, or wherever. Right. I also think I, like, to me, it makes me think like the illusion of safety is is a major piece of it, which is a good album, by the way. Uh, the other segment of it is like you're, you know, you're talking about a group of people in an organization that is very vocal politically, but they're political, like uh, all of that centers around these cultural outcries, you know? And I, I feel like part of it comes down to, to like selling the notion that like, not only are we a safe campus, we're safe partly because there's a different culture here, a superior culture. And it's it's like selling this notion of like just the the rightness of how they live creates an environment that's different than any other campus out there. And I think like it's weird. I I listen to a, a ton of like true crime and serial killer podcasts and things like that. And it seems like one of the ingredients that you need in place for like a, a serial killer to be really successful doing what they do is like you have to have an environment that continually like looks the other way when bad things happen you know and you you talk like the the one that always comes to mind is like the the milwaukee gay club scene that jeffrey dahmer was a part of you know the the milwaukee police department wanted nothing to do with it and they cared they did not care at all if gay men were killed and like, so they just created an environment where this guy could do whatever he wanted to, and no one was going to bat an eye or look into it. And I feel like Liberty inadvertently created that type of environment on campus where maybe like these instances of of sexual assault and things like that, maybe they've created a breeding ground for that in some ways because there was just no repercussions for for doing those types of things. I don't know. That's speculation, but... Yeah, I mean, look, I I think I'm I'm certainly not going to ever judge the school or 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 the you know the 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 idea of a 
a place for evangelical students to go to, you know, receive an education that, you know, is, is in line with their beliefs and the beliefs of their family. I, I think that's great. Um, and even the Liberty Way, like I understand what the Liberty Way is all about at its heart. But when it's used, you know, in this case, um, as a cudgel against women who would otherwise report rapes, um, but are afraid of being reported or, or receiving um, points or demerits for, for drinking alcohol mm-hmm. or for, you know, being in a man's apartment when they're not supposed to, you know, that's when things cross over from, um, you know, a, a, an environment that is set up for, you know, to, to be in line with people's religious beliefs. It, it crosses over from that into something that is, is absolutely dangerous, um, yeah. particularly for women. So that's, that's an, that's a, that's a huge issue. Um, you know, I think I think on its surface, uh, to have an environment like that, you know, we've seen how successful liberty has become. It's it's clearly a place that that draws people in because of those values. Um, so why can't there be a place? Why can't liberty be that place that has those values that that you know that creates that environment for people who want to live out those values, but also be safe and be compliant and report things when they're bad and have board members who don't look the other way when Jerry Falwell is drinking in some hotel room in, 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 uh, in Memphis, you know, in, in the lobby or, or, you know, or doing all of these other things that the board looked the other way during. Why, why can't there be this place that um, can be all of the things that Liberty aspires to? Right? Why can't why can't that happen? Um, clearly, people were, you know, living high on the hog and didn't want to, you know, didn't want to rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have um did you have a lot of familiarity with evangelical culture or anything like that before doing this? No. Okay. Like, no, I didn't. What a treat so, for you. Yeah. <laughs> We're still processing some of it, uh, you know, into our thirties, but we like growing up in that. And it, this is something that's kind of just, it pops up more and more. Um, but within that culture, there's this, um, it's often a false sense of piety, uh, where, you know, you're, well, let me speak for Casey and I really, but like we, we were spent most of our lives being told like this, this here, this ideology has transformative power that's going to make you, uh, if you really are buying into it, and if you're really committing yourself to it, live a, a life that's going to be a light to the world and and be a shining example. So when when that's the culture that's created, and I know it's not like this at every college, uh, Christian college, and there's different degrees of this within evangelicalism when it shifts more into fundamentalism, but it really turns into like, any sort of misstep needs to be covered up because, oh, that's going to show people that this lacks authenticity or that there is no pa- the, the power of Christ doesn't compel us or uh, that it doesn't work. And th- it's like it almost makes so much at stake that like the default option is to like make excuses for poor behavior uh, or cover it up. And I think we're seeing more and more of that coming to light uh, with some of these mega church pastors failing and falling fast and 
that's the culture that I feel like, at least when I was at Liberty, was there's a lot of that going on there. Uh, and it seems like that's probably what seeps into, you know, the cover up of sexual assault, rape and and wanting to pretend like Casey was even saying, like, it creates a culture of this is we're such great Christians here that we have less of this than everyone else, because this is this is what it looks like when you have when you have God working through. Yeah, I mean, none of us are perfect. Right. And and we can't be perfect. Humans are infallible by our nature. Right. Um, and. Uh, you know, I think that understanding that is is beyond religion. I think that that's a human thing, um, and admitting our faults mm-hmm. and and trying to um, be a better person because of them. And you know, all of the evangelicals that I spoke to for this project all believe the same thing. And I think at the end of the day, we all sort of want the same things, right? We all, we all want to be happy. We all want to, you know, be good fathers or husbands or brothers or sons or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, And, you know, all of this, all of the people that I spoke to were amazing people um, and did not, were not interested in covering things up and, and, and looking the other way. In fact, it was the opposite. Right. And I think, um, for, to me, that's amazing, you know, because they want to root out the bad, the evil and, and restore the good. Um, and I thought it was, you know, you asked me if I, what kind of experience I had with evangelicalism, um, which I said, I, I, I didn't have, uh, any, I certainly did my research. Um, but I was never, you know, gangster capitalism was never going to, um, take a position of authority on mm-hmm. evangelicalism we just you know we just couldn't it was never it was never going to happen we aren't evangelicals um and would never claim to um know enough about it to 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 speak um on behalf of evangelicals but we felt like as outsiders quote unquote outsiders that maybe we could just put these things out there and let the chips fall where they may let people yeah. who are willing to listen with an open mind, right? Because that's the key. If you can listen, and I think therein lies the difference. That's sort of the the line of demarcation. Those who are willing to listen and have an open mind and those who are just go- going to say before they even listen, oh, these are outsiders. They know nothing about evangelicalism or they're um, it's the media. We don't trust them. I mean, there are going to be those people and we know we're not going to reach those people, right? But the people that will approach it with an open mind, um, I don't think that religion dictates whether you're going to, you know, listen to something like this with an open mind. I think it's the, you know, it's the type of person that that you are or mm-hmm. that, you know, you want to learn more, whatever reason you're coming at it for, um, you're going to listen. Uh, and so those are the people that we felt like we could reach. Um and we feel like we did. We hope we did. And again, you know, I was I was never our team was never going to um, claim that we knew anything, uh, uh, you know, that we were sort of insiders in the evangelical world. Sure, it, just, sure. it was impossible. It was never going to be. Possible. Yeah. Um, but we hope we did a good job as far as outsiders looking in, just 
you know, showing all the warts uh, and, and, and the biggest thing, the last thing that I'll, I'll say on this is, again, it was never going to be us saying X, Y, or Z. You know, it was so important to have the messaging, to have the stories first person from the people, from the students, from the faculty, whomever we spoke with, as opposed to, you know, these outsiders, you know, put, you know, foisting their views on the listener Mm -hmm. um, about this. It just, it it would have been totally inauthentic. It wouldn't have worked. um, And it would have been awful. Be very cable news of you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that objective, like I think coming into it objectively really allowed for a good space. Cause you know, where part, like, you know, there is this kind of this divide now. I mean, what, what, where isn't there a divide at this point? There's kind of this hyper polarization going on all around us at this point. And even within Christianity, um, you know, as it's called like a mass ex evangelical movement and what you're, uh, what you're getting is a lot of, um, you're, a lot of interesting things are coming to light. A lot of good information is being presented, but it's no doubt coming from you know a lot of people who've been hurt and have something to say and might want to watch a few things burn to the ground or two. And I think the out that outsider's perspective on something like this, something that is as polarizing as liberty has been for the people who attended it, for the Christians who have been looking in on it, um, or just the rest of the world who's religiously unaffiliated is just seeing it show up in the news. I think that outsider's approach was uh, came off very authentic and as you said at the start of this uh it, it lacked you had your only agenda was telling the story that people have to tell and i think it didn't come off as um trying to prove something or tear something down or justify something like it just kind of hit that uh, objective notion that i think is what made it such an incredible and fantastic season Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. That yeah. that means a lot because that was exactly the goal that we were going for. So that that means a lot. As far as um the results of it and you know I know recently there was um there was a lawsuit filed I believe from like t- from 12 women uh against Liberty for their misdealings with sexual assaults. Um is that in part because of the light and the that gangster capitalism shed on it and it were those are those people were they affiliated with uh, maybe you can't say i don't know i don't know if some people off the record no, I can say it. yes 100 percent, 100 percent. um i put the women who i spoke to for episode three in touch with uh sandra hodgen who was the title nine consultant who appeared in episode three who i was speaking with a lot about the title nine violations um and she uh, she helped, you know, she found a, an attorney who would look at their cases. Um, and after episode three came out, I was contacted by other women as well. Um, and, uh, and they became a part of the, the lawsuit as well. So, um, yeah, we're, you know, again, we were just really proud of the fact that we were able to get those stories out and that they had an impact. Um, and that hopefully these women will, you know, um, be, uh, you know, uh, at, at sort of the vanguard of, of change, you know, of, of, of hopefully um, inciting some sort of change at liberty to their policies and procedures. And, and if that can happen, you know, we're just happy to be a part of it um, and to have taken some part in, in helping that to happen. Hopefully yeah. they get that chatter too. 
<laughs> the loft queens. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but of, of, of all of the Jane Doe's that I've spoken with, um, you know, their, their primary focus is to make sure that this doesn't happen to, to more women, you know, and, and, and not one single one of them has, has mentioned the word money. Um, you would, you would think that they would, but they, they did not. Um, and they, they just want to see change. They don't want to see this continue to happen. This cycle has to be broken. Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the other episodes that, um, struck a chord because we've had a lot of conversations with people who have experienced the, um, the gay conversion therapy at Liberty, um, which can shout out, uh, Luke Wilson. We've talked to Luke Wilson, uh, yeah. a handful of times here. Loop slam dunk Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, even like, I mean, the, I, I know this was, I think it was prior to gangster capitalism, but I mean, there's a lot going on there right now. Like Luke's part of that, um class action lawsuit actually we yeah. spoke with uh paul who's kind of leading the charge on that too and you know it's like it feels like so much stuff is coming to a head right now in the way that um that that type of culture has kept tried to keep things under wraps um it, i mean it just seems to be piling on i mean even that, uh, that netflix documentary just came out pray away that deals with gay conversion there it's like the, these are all the things that you know we grew up with. Um, I mean, I, I very clearly remember in middle school, high school being, I remember in high school talking to people, not, like I knew nothing about it, but um, can, very convinced that like, yeah, people people become ex-gay all the time and it definitely works. And it's like, I, I had gotten debates with people about how you cannot yeah. live that life. And yeah. it, it's been, it, it's so wild to see so much stuff like bubbling to a head and uh, yeah. And, you, you know, just to just to jump in real quick, I I think that, um, you know, you talk about we were just talking about us, you know, air quotes being outsiders. Right. Or not even air quotes being outsiders, legitimate outsiders. Um, uh, and I don't you guys tell me, like, if if um, if an evangelical group did this podcast, would they report on the LGBTQ? issues at liberty i don't think so i really don't i mean i don't i don't know that evangelical probably not and that goes hand in hand like i know there's plenty of i want to be fair and say there's plenty of denominations and organizations within under the christian umbrella that are very affirming yeah absolutely denounced that for some time yeah uh but evangelicalism and the evangelical culture i think that's still going pretty strong yeah, the, the one that we know anyway, you know, we like me, especially like the brand of evangelicalism that I grew up in is never going to take up that issue, you know? Yeah. So it's that's that lot, homophobia is a deep, deeply rooted part of that segment of evangelicalism. Yeah. A lot have denounced maybe gay conversion therapy, but they are very strong proponents for gay celibacy. Like you absolutely under no circumstances can be in a relationship with someone of the same sex. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were, you know, yeah. So that, that's interesting. And I, and I think that, um, you know, that, that episode is probably the prime example of um, maybe the approach that, you know, to keep using this word that an outsider would take 
or one of the one of the approaches, right? One of the one of the topics, one of the subjects. Um, we thought it was important. You know, we, it, Title IX itself is an anti-discrimination law, right? And so, again, you're receiving all this financial aid, but yet you're actively discriminating against, you know, a portion of your student body and and these people, you know. Um, gay and lesbian, you know, the LGBTQ community on Liberty's campus are are in fear of being outed and in, in fear of living, you know, the, the, their lives as their true selves. Um, you know, and I, and I understand, you know, I understand um, there's a belief system there. I, 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 I get that. I don't agree with it, of course. Um, but when people are again are put into danger um which conversion therapy clearly is dangerous um on so many levels uh we felt like that was um not only a worthy um subject for gangster capitalism but it, but a, a, a vitally important one um to put that word out and and frankly i was knowing the position that um that is there uh, as far as the LGBTQ views and, and certainly what Jerry Falwell Sr. has said um, in the past, knowing the history, like I knew the belief, the beliefs, uh, you know, the, 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 the majority beliefs, but hearing that there was gay conversion therapy still on campus to me was like, you know, uh, it, it, it was astounding Yeah, in a bad way. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't, I know. I'm, I'm guessing it's still going on. I don't know. I don't have the connections to the university anymore, but it sounds like the people you spoke to, it was, it was only very recently that it was more recent interviews. So it sounds like it's definitely still a practice happening there. Yeah. And there were a few others that, that were not in the podcast that I spoke to as well, who had just recently graduated. So I, I, you know, I don't know for a fact that it's going on as we speak. Um, but certainly up until the last couple of years, yeah, doctrine is in place. If not, if the even if the the program is not, you know, yeah. Well, what was wild though here? You know, I didn't pick up on this at the time. Like we knew about like this that secret club for gay kids because, but it wasn't like official. It really wasn't officially on the books or anything like that. We just we knew about it, and I mean, the joke at that point was. Um, which I was even touched on in gangster capitalism is that in order to prevent gay people from having relationships with other men, you just throw all the, when you're not allowed to talk about it on campus, right. you just let's throw them all into a room together and see right. what happens. It's right. As Luke, as Luke said, uh, speed dating for men. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. What I didn't realize they didn't have that space for women. And that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think shows you like, I think it shows and this is my personal take and you can say to whatever you want to it. The, um, just the, I guess one of the things I've mentioned before is it, one of the things that feels like evangelicalism has the, their issue with homosexuality is often, you know, it's a very patriarchal and male dominated world. And there's that. I, I think that a lot of it just comes down to these male leaders harping on it and focusing on, it from a male's perspective, either because they feel in all honesty that it's gross. Like they don't like, they feel like they don't, 
they're so off put by it, but for whatever reason, um, it just flies in the face of whatever masculinity that they've, how they've defined masculinity, that there's so much focus on that. And then they don't even care to put a program like that together for women, even though it's something that they think is really important. Well, they're like, there's like a categorical denial of female sexuality in, in that category, you know, in that range of yeah. Christianity, like, and I think, I mean, the way that, that like gay women were treated and talked about, like in the circles that I grew up in, it was like gay women are just women who are mad at men, you know, and that was they were just disregarded as an illegitimate group or something. You know, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's a very strange, like priority set that that they have in there, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to make any generalizations at all. Um, and I know, of course, this is fraught territory, but but I think what it comes down to, at least for me, um, is this idea of of it being a choice, right? Uh, you know, and, and I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying, but I, I certainly don't want to, um, you know, lean into necessarily what I believe about evangelical culture or anything like that, because, sure. I, you know, Again, like I'm not in a position to speak on that at all yeah, um, I hear you. and would never dare to. But I think generally speaking, um, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted uh, uh, Dr. Douglas Haldeman in that episode, who um, is the, you know, the foremost authority on the detrimental effects of, of gay conversion therapy. Um, I mean, if you want to know about gay conversion therapy and what's wrong with it, you talk to talk to him. Um, so I, I felt like it was important for him to say the notion of being gay, being a choice is just so preposterous. Why would anybody, especially in, you know, a, 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 a very religious culture um, that is outspokenly against homosexuality, um, why would anybody choose to, quote, live that lifestyle when you're at risk of losing everything um, in your life? You know, whether it's, you know, the love from your family or friends or even, you know, God forbid, committing suicide. Um, mm -hmm. Ultimately, why would anybody, you know, from from the pressures, right, from from trying to live as your true self, why would anybody make that choice? Um, so, you know, the things that you guys were speaking about, uh, you know, women being angry with men, um, or whatever it is, it, there's always this subtext that it is a choice. Um, clearly I believe that it is not a choice. Uh, and I think that anybody that is, um, that is gay would tell you the same thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly to, to me, one of the big factors that, that plays into all of this um, and, and gay conversion therapy, of course, as well, is this idea that you can choose not to be gay. Mm -hmm. um, and the, 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 the effect that that has on these men is so dangerous. Uh, and I, I will tell you that every one of them that I spoke to had at one point suicidal ideations, you know? And so, you know, to, to, man, <laughs> I'm getting worked up thinking about it, but it's, it's awful. It's, it's, it's terrible. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's my two cents on that. So shifting a little bit, 
how bizarre was it for you to read these like response emails from Becky Falwell to the questions that you guys asked them? Were you just like the first ones you got back? Were you just like, oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The whole the whole Falwell thing. And I I thought it was important to put that in at the end of episode one, sort of my, uh, you know, my attempt at getting them to to be a, a part of the podcast, which I will tell you and which I, you know, we we said in the podcast looked good in the beginning. <laughs> you know, I had a long conversation with them and they were, you know, a nice conversation and they seemed very enthusiastic about being a part of the podcast. And then, you know, every couple of days or whatever, it was like, well, you know, talk to our PR people talk to the PR people. Well, we're not going to do it. And then, you know, well, we'll do it, but we're, you know, yeah, the PR team said that they wanted to say the answers anonymously, um, which I think they may have done for another podcast. I'm not sure. Uh, and, and we said, you know, absolutely not. Um, we don't want to use, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. Uh, and we thought that, Jerry Jr. was against anonymous sources. Um, <laughs> How dare you hold his own words against him? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. And then I think, um, you know, to their credit, I will give them credit for answering it all. Um, but, yeah, it was a little bizarre that um, as if Becky responding was going to create some distance between she and between Jerry as the, you know, the, 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 you know, the person that was actually answering these questions. Um, I don't know. I mean, as we say in the podcast, it sort of spoke to the um, PR nightmare that's going on uh, yeah. around their story. Um, and, you know, look, I know it's not easy for them, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the whole, the whole thing was, was bizarre. Yeah. So yeah. they were ready to participate until they figured out that you were part of the lamestream media. <laughs> <laughs> Lefties right. smearing their good name, you know? Yeah, I don't I don't know what um what changed their mind, but But, but maybe uh, it was season two about the NRA that changed their mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean it's funny, you know. I think that yeah, it could be. Who knows? Of course that could be. Um, but I think that anybody that listens to that uh, you know, you mentioned the NRA season. Our biggest fans were NRA members, and that's oh, yeah. that's sort of where you know that you're in the sweet spot. You know, where you know that you're doing something right because um, we're not we're not making that that um, that schism between the left and the right or the yeah, pro gun sure. anti gun wider. You know, we're trying to we're trying to make it smaller. We're trying to bring people together to say, "Hey, th- those are the people that are messing it up for all of us, or or for you know for um, for the NRA members or whatever." But yeah, who who knows? Maybe they did listen to it. Maybe they, I don't know. I think maybe they, they were like at a barbecue playing a game of strip twister with Wayne Lapierre. <laughs> He's like, "No, don't do that." Killing an elephant in Botswana and making stools out of its feet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys saw that story in the news recently, which is oh my god, uh, awful, absolutely awful. Um, yeah, the hits keep coming. 
man. It's funny because the responses to when I hear certain responses like that, like that came that were filtered through Becky, my first thought is you didn't have to say anything. Like those aren't helping at all. I, I don't hear those as a person who went there who's interested in the story and wants to get more information on it. I re, I hear that and I instantly think that isn't helping at all. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I don't think there's any good answers for the questions that were being asked. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I and and you know, there were questions that we we had the goods on, right? We had the documentation and everything and there's just there's there's no good answer for for some of these things. Um so, yeah, again, to to their credit, they 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 answered the questions um whether they answered them honestly or with, you know, with the idea of putting out the proper information or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we can we can argue about that. We can, we can talk about that. <laughs> I do like they that did. they like took a couple pot shots at like Ron Godwin and the <laughs> There were several pot shots at Ron Godwin and Neil Askew and yeah. His you know. his his loyalty is suspect at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. So do we have any uh is there any sneak peek or is there any conversation about season four yet? What's uh No. Yeah. Uh, I'm open to any ideas that you guys have. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to be thinking. You're going to get a lot of emails from me now. We, we had, we, we've, we've started um, having some discussions about, uh, about the possibilities um, for season four, but you know, some of these things, you know, it's, it's weird the way it's worked. Um, you know, we start talking in the last three seasons, we start talking about potential stories and then all of a sudden, boom, like something major hits the news. And so it's a question like in season one with the college admission scandal, we were telling that story in real time. You know, that story broke, uh, the indictment came down, uh, or the affidavit, I should say. Um, and we felt like we could sort of be at the front of that conversation as it was happening in real time. Um, you know, in the NRA, the big New Yorker article came out and we felt like, you know, hopefully we could add more to that. Um, uh, and of course the, 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 um, the, uh, the convention where, where all this news about Oliver North and Wayne LaPierre having an internal civil war that, that was sort of unfolding in real time as well. Um, and then the Falwell story came out and we started digging in that and, and here we are. So that story might not have happened yet for season four. You know, it might, it might, you know, be six months from now and we might say, wow, this is the story. Um, and that's where you just have to be really flexible and realize that you're going to spend a lot of time doing research on something that is never going to go anywhere. And maybe it'll just be in some recess of your brain that might pop up in a conversation with somebody somewhere where you say, Hey, I know a little bit about that story. Um, that's the extent of it. You I'm know? just, I'm just spitballing here. I don't know if there's a story here or not, but like, what about some sort of reality series where you follow like Baron Trump through college? Cause he's got real like Uday Hussein vibes. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe you just like follow him around and watch other people's drinks or something. Uh, you know? <laughs> I would listen to that if you did it. I, I, I can't take shots at, uh, how old is he? 14 or 13. I, I know, know he's six foot eight, but uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't take shots at, uh, 
at the innocent bystanders. Mui Kara tracks. He seems like a nice kid with a great comb over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh I'm all God. for like uh you know learning about whatever sort of like um human rights violations Logan Paul is up to in Puerto Rico. If he's wow. I think it's Puerto Rico he's hanging out in now. I heard he's like driving a golf cart across turtles nests and <laughs> he might be putting together one of those like uh <laughs> John McAfee private armies. <laughs> that that ended well for him, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you guys missed the boat on McAfee. The McAfee would have been a great story. Yeah. That would have been great. But, well, the documentary on him was, was fascinating. I forget who the, the, the director was. That was that was great. She did an amazing job with that. Yeah, that story is crazy. They're out there. I mean, man. Um, and that's kind of the cool thing about gangster capitalism at this point is like, you know, um, as I said earlier, it's, you know, it's got these financial, it's got this financial backbone, right? But it can take us in so many different directions. Um, and we just try to go wherever the, wherever the story is, you know, and, and wherever we feel like we can be additive to the conversation. Um, they're definitely out there. I, 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 I will definitely reach out to you guys if, uh, you know, or you should reach out to me if you yeah. have more great ideas yeah i'm sure casey will come up with a few more he's yeah. uh got some weird thoughts yeah you got him there. right there ready to go <laughs> dude if i could close yeah. us out with like a question being that you're in the podcast space like i'm a huge podcast fan what podcast do you listen to do you have some that you love that you listen to religiously that's so you know i i don't and i'm going to tell you why you know i get asked this all the time um I'm so busy making the ones that we put out um, that I, I I wish I had more time um, to to listen. I mean, the the I, there's none that I listen to like religiously where I'm like I have to listen to this. Um, I mean, Catch and Kill, I love that story. Um, you know, Crime Town was one that made me realize what I could potentially do in this space when I was still in, on the on the film side. Um, now I'm going back several years, right? But but listening to that, I sort of realized, oh, you know, I could take my, you know, my film experience and try to make these movies for people's ears. These, you know, that you could imagine watching on Netflix and and closing your eyes and just listening to it. That's what I wanted to do. So so stories like that, um, you know, I'm really into. I, I I do like true crime, but I you know. Um, and I'll give a shout out to to my guy, uh, um, you know, to to Neil for for to live and die in L.A. Um, but you know, yeah, there's there's nothing that I'm like, okay, let me let me get caught up on this right now. It's just these things, you know, we're we're under deadline. We're tr- we're trying to to put out our own stuff. Um, but I'll find the time somewhere. Yeah. Give me your best recommendation. <laughs> oh man, uh, put him on the spot. Time Suck. Time Suck's a good one if you like true crime. Dan Cummins, it's a great one. Okay. Dirty John was a good like limited series. I did listen to Dirty John, yep. That one's interesting. Um, I'll give you guys two, okay? Okay. <laughs> Other than gangster capitalism, since you listened to that, and thank you. <laughs> Root of Evil, right? Which I spoke about before. Oh, I yep. wrote that one down. And then Relative Unknown. 
which is about the uh, witness protection and the Hell's Angels crime in Cleveland in the 1970s. It's you guys will love it. Um, that's when I, you know, when I talk about movies for the ears or like a doc series for the ears um, that you could totally visualize as being a film, you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, cool. And then we're working on season two of Once Upon a Time uh, right now. Um, season one was Once Upon a Time in the Valley um, about Tracy Lords, the underage porn star. Um, oh, yeah. Malick, the brilliant writer. Um, it's her story. She's putting that together. And season two is about Bennington College, which uh, in 1986, um, three of you know the most iconic um, contemporary writers were all there at the same time. Um, so that, that's, that will come out sometime at the end of September, I believe. So look out for that. But yeah, Root of Evil, Relative Unknown. Um, give those a listen and, and, uh, yeah, I'll check out Time Suck. Awesome, man. Zach, we really appreciate you joining us. This was awesome. You're a fantastic storyteller. You, I mean, listening to Gangster Capitalism and how well it was written, produced, executed. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And I'm definitely excited to dig into more of your work after, after hearing that. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, again, thanks for having me on. Um, I never could have envisioned be, being, uh, you know, participating in a podcast called growing up Christian. <laughs> uh, well, you're welcome. Yeah. I, I really, I really appreciate it. This was a really fun conversation and, and, uh, you know, again, thanks not only for listening, but for advocating for the show and for, you know, sort of seeing what our goal was and, and understanding it and, and, you know, telling me that we achieved that goal of, of, of taking an objective look at, at liberty. Um, so I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your time and inviting me on. Yeah, awesome. absolutely, man. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will catch you next time.